let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, and I should really say return to you. I have been sick, uh, and then also after I recovered from my sickness, I uh, was out of town. I went on vacation with my wife. We had a, a getaway week, so it is good to be back. I know I had to re-air some programs and and re-air some podcasts, but as I look at my inbox and my email, I see that you have continued to engage with what I have aired, and you continue to ask me questions, and, and I will continue to answer those questions. Now, incidentally, as I say that, as you know, Thursday is Special Topic Thursday, an evening that I set aside to answer your questions, but some of your questions certainly have been pertinent to the book of Genesis and what we're going to get into this evening. So, God willing, uh, if we have enough time, I do plan on getting to answer some of your questions uh, this evening. Questions that come from the book of Genesis chapters 4 and 5. So, this evening, what we are going to be about is engaging the end of chapter 4 and then kind of looking at more topically some aspects of chapter 5. The end of chapter 4 is about the beginnings of civilization. So this evening we are going to talk about civilization itself and what it means to create a civilization of love, as John Paul II would like to talk about it, with a special emphasis on a virtue that I think far too often goes neglected, and that is courtesy. And then again, when we get into chapter 5, we're going to look at Adam's descendants to Noah, which is going to have us in some of your questions about you know, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and how did God populate the world with, without having Adam and Eve's kids uh, marry each other? Well, we're going to talk about that. And then also, these ages. What do you do with these ages? You know, <laughs> Adam lived to be how old? But 930 years old. Methuselah, the oldest in all of sacred scripture, lived to be 969 years old. So what do we do with that? Well, we're going to dig into the commentaries, into the church fathers, and and hopefully get to that answer. Okay, so before I read to you the beginnings of civilization, chapter 4, verses 17 to 26, I, I thought I could just ask you the question, what's the value of coming to appreciate where we come from? I mean, what's the value of coming to understand that, well, we come from someone, and that someone comes from someone, and that someone comes from someone, all the way back to Adam and Eve? I mean, is there value to it? Here, my friends, I want to make an observation uh, to this point, and it's something that I shared in my book. When I taught junior high kids, I gave them an assignment that was more or less about their family tree. And I have to tell you something. When the kids presented this assignment, the family tree assignment, with their parents, I was so struck by how engaged the parents were, and the kids as well. I mean, they were both so engaged and my observation was this, not only how engaged they were, but how excited they got when they started to talk about where they came from. 
Why? I mean, why were these families getting so excited about where they came from? Let me tell you something. If you were asking that question, I would advise you to go home right now and start peeling back the layers to come to understand where you come from. Because what you will discover is a much deeper, profound, I believe, appreciation for just not where you come from, but who you are and where you are going. You see, my friends, there's something about getting to know the roots, if you will, of your family tree. Most especially when getting to know those roots of your family tree entail a certain tenacity. I mean, the toil and the struggle that those who have gone before you to make it where you are today. You just come to appreciate the gift of life itself, really. And that you have a purpose. You see that those who have gone before you suffered so much, sacrificed so much, that gives birth, gives impetus to this desire to do the same. You feel connected to your ancestors now. When I was grading out these presentations as the families were presenting, I could never stress enough, my friends, at what I was seeing, what I was watching, what I was observing with these families. And you know what really, really struck me is how in the, in the, the student, the child, and the parent doing this family tree assignment together brought them closer together because they were discovering their beginning, if you will. Now, what I'm talking about is what? But our family tree, and, and in most cases, these family trees take us back maybe to the 1700s, 1600s, if we're lucky, 1500s. But here this evening, we're talking about kind of our spiritual family tree, but also physical family tree. So maybe we're asking the question, how much does the book of Genesis really apply to this topic? Well, a lot, my friends, because hopefully by the end of this evening, we'll appreciate that line that really breaks open where our faith comes from. Okay, all that being said, let us jump into Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 26. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael the father of Methushael, and Methushael the father of Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have cattle. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken to what I say. I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me 
another child instead of Abel. For Cain slew him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, so when you look at this genealogy, when you look at the beginnings of civilization, what do you see? If you really carefully examine this genealogy, you see that the descendants of Cain were technologically advanced, and yet at the same time, what? Morally debased, right? I mean, on one hand, to their credit, they were pioneers of, of a kind of urbanization, right? Also, a pastoral culture, instrumental music, the lyre and the pipe, metalworking. But on the other hand, to their shame, they were the first to engage in what but murder, polygamy, and as verses 23 to 24 highlight, vindictive violence. You see, my friends, the point of presenting the genealogy in this way is not to say that scientific progress is evil or incompatible with religious obligations. No, science and religion, my friends, are complementary to one another, right? Rather, the genealogy here communicates to us that advances in material civilization come with what, my friends, but, but the danger of moral and, and spiritual decline. The more a culture is enamored with human achievements, the more it risks forgetting about God and its responsibilities towards Him. What is the value of spending time with chapter 4, verses 17 to 26? Well, hopefully you know now. We are a culture today that is enamored, enamored, my friends, with advancements in technology. And in of itself, my friends, technological advancement, that is fine. It's the manner in which we become enamored with it. That's the problem, right? That's the real problem. So in saying all that, I mean, what does it really mean to talk about a civilization, right? I mean, here we are talking about the beginnings of civilization. What does it mean to say the word civilization? Well, what is the root word here? You know that I love to get into the meaning of words to really discover what something is all about, and certainly to do so here would be greatly beneficial. The word civilization comes from the Latin uh, civilis, civilis, which means relating to a society, pertaining to public life, relating to the civic order, which is befitting to a citizen. By extension, this word best translates as what is popular, affable, and most especially, my friends, when you get to the root of the word, courteous. Courteous. So to talk about what is proper to any civilization is to be versed in that virtue of courtesy. You know, in what we can rightfully call the, the machination of the 21st century, the advancement of machines and technology, there really is an absence of courtesy. And the question that begs to be asked is, why? Well, here I'd like to turn our attention to the popular theologian and writer that you've heard me quote before, Donald DeMarco. He always has some good insight here. He says, to this question, why is there an absence of courtesy today, especially within the context of machines? There is no point in being courteous to a machine. The machine is programmed for 
efficiency, not civility. I love that. Efficiency, not civility. My dear friends, human beings need to be acknowledged as having a value. A value that has absolutely nothing to do with efficiency. They need to be honored as human beings. The virtue of courtesy does this. It is really the entrance level virtue that acknowledges that other human beings are worthy of being honored simply because they are human beings, right? Courtesy may or may not lead to friendship. I don't know. But it is the first virtue in the catalog of all human virtues that one can express to a complete stranger without risk of impropriety. Again, as Donald DeMarco quips within this stream of thought, (laughs) there's no point in greeting a machine or saying hello to it. Its sensitivity is wholly mechanical. Human beings, unlike machines, have an inherent dignity, and they need to be reminded of that dignity, lest they forget they possess it. Brothers and sisters, our ability to recognize that another human being is a human being is not impaired by the fact that he or she is imperfect in some way. I mean, think about it. A society of unblemished, beautiful people is one in which common courtesy would be unnecessary. What might be ideal for, say, a credit card is not ideal for a human being, right? To say, I will not recognize you unless you are unflawed is the most discourteous attitude one could ever have for another human being. Because at its core, it represents the failure to acknowledge the dignity that is inherent in each one of us as we are created in the image and likeness of God. That is the problem with the culture of death, you see. And just not assisted suicide, euthanasia, abortion, but now we're having abortions because we see the physical abnormality, right? Down syndrome. How inhumane is that? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. If you don't already know this, anyone who has any kind of physical abnormality is a particular and very unique gift from God for us to love. They are equal, and to think otherwise would be insane. And I say insane in the truest sense of the word. Insane comes from the Latin insanum, that means without logic. There's no logic in it. We are all, in the end, imperfect. Let us be aware of that, please. So, courtesy. Courtesy is paradoxical, but immensely practical, is it not? I mean, the courteous person assumes that every man is a gentleman and every woman is a lady and treats them accordingly. And in doing so, that person displays the mark of a true gentleman or a true lady. It is remarkable how many people begin to act as a gentleman and lady simply because they were respected. Hmm? In the end, my friends, the foundation for courtesy is the dignity of man. Courtesy is the appropriate response to recognizing the divine imprint in another person. A person who has downs, 
a person who might be autistic, a person who from the secular vantage point might seem different, is not that. But for one reason or another, in the infinite wisdom of God, God's divine imprint on that person and in that soul, the courteous person senses nobility at first sight and then acts in a manner consistent with that sense. You see, courtesy is the entrance level virtue because it allows strangers to suddenly feel that they are kindred spirits. It is also the foundation on which other virtues might be established, such as kindness, thoughtfulness, amicability, generosity. No true and lasting human relationship can begin without the virtue of courtesy. Huh? It appears at the beginning of any good relationship and really abides throughout it. It is expressed to both the stranger and to the intimate. It is the needed antidote to our world of machine efficiency. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> it is the answer to that vengeance we just read about, huh? In verses 17 to 26. Courtesy reminds us of our distinctive humanity and invites us to follow its beckoning course. Its sensitivity is always an accepting one, greeting the poor, Greeting the afflicted, greeting the, the, the healthy, greeting the affluent, all with equal temperament. You see, courtesy is always offering the smile of recognition and the possibility of friendship. And the thing of it is, my friends, it costs us nothing, right? It costs us nothing. So if we are going to build a civilization of love, as John Paul II would speak to it, let it begin with the virtue of courtesy, that word that is inherent in the word civilization itself. So, so important. Okay, now, in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, we have a genealogy of Adam through the line of Seth. I might pick it up in verse 21, because in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21, we are introduced to Enoch. And this will allow us to uh, speak to Noah here a little bit and get to some of these questions. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. I know many of us are familiar with that name, right? Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. Methuselah lived after the birth of Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. Then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he became the father of a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground which the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. Lamech lived after the birth of Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, 
and Japheth. Okay, so <laughs> what's up with this genealogy and, and what could be said here? Well, off the top, we should highlight a couple of things. There are certain contrasts between Seth's line and Cain's line that are distinct, most notably in the second and seventh generation. In the second generation, you have Cain and Seth. In the seventh generation, you have Lamech and Enoch. Now, follow this here because I find this to be uh, fascinating, really. In the second generation, Cain founds a city and names it after his son, Enoch. Seth and his son, Enosh, instead of seeking their own glory, what do they do in, in verses 25 to 26? They call upon the name of the Lord. Now, in the seventh generation, what does Lamech do? He flaunts his reputation as a murderer and a bigamist. Enoch, however, walks with God and is caught up to heaven. So Cain thus fathers a wicked family line, and Seth, a righteous family line. Of course, this is confirmed by the flood that follows, destroying the line of Cain and preserving the line of Seth. Now, what about the question you've asked me as it relates to marriage? We find it in this phrase, other sons and daughters, right? Well, the Ignatius commentary says this, unnamed children of Adam and Eve are the other sons and daughters. The fact that several male and female offspring were born to the first couple explains how marriages could take place in primeval times and how the world could become populated from a single human pair. And this is important here, and this is St. Augustine from his work, City of God. Marriage between brothers and sisters was a matter of necessity at first, even though sexual union between close relatives was later prohibited. If you are to go into the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verses 6 to 18, you see uh, those prohibitions there. Okay, so essentially, St. Augustine is saying <laughs> there was simply a matter of necessity to have these first marriages that might be related marriages to populate the world. But over time, this was seen as a prohibition. Okay, now, what about the question of age, right? Adam's 930 years old, Methuselah's, you know, 969 years old. Well, there really is as yet no positive solution to the mystery of these enormous lifespans. Certainly, modern anthropology holds that the human species is around 40,000 years old. That prehistoric man lived a fairly short life, right? And that human longevity slowly increased rather than decreased over the millennia. The Bible, however, as well as ancient Near East writings, if you were to go into the Sumerian writings, you see this, really concur in giving the ancients an immensely long life, especially before the flood. Now, there's various um, approaches, interpretations, that have been taken to explain this phenomenon in Genesis. On one front, you know, some take the ages at face value and maintain the little truth of the genealogies. Uh, the problem with this is that it results in putting Adam less than 2,000 years before Abraham and makes the human race only 6,000 years old. 
right? And, and the Bible will not contradict history. Others have proposed converting years into months. I don't know if you've heard that. That's out there. But this, my friends, creates a situation in which some of the figures are children at the time they are said to bear children of their own. So not only will the Bible not contradict history, it will not contradict science. It will not contradict biology. Still others take the names of the patriarchs to refer to clans, huh? Rather than individuals. Yet this fails to explain why some of the names clearly concern individuals such as Adam, Cain, Enoch, and Noah, and and the figures that we have and will continue to talk about. Perhaps the best hypothesis, and one that would explain both the biblical and Near Eastern data, again, if you were to go into the Sumerian writings, is that giving primeval figures extremely long lives is a way of conceptualizing the great antiquity of mankind. In other words, this may simply be a literary technique used to insert the remarkable age of the human race itself. We have to appreciate that when we interpret sacred scripture, we always do it mindful of the literal sense, the genre of writing employed. I think there's more research to be done in this area, quite frankly, and and as we do so, of course, we do so mindful that not only does the Bible not contradict history, science, biology, and so on and so forth, but it's also not going to contradict Revelation itself, right? Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. Again, if you have any questions, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website, just hit the contact link button there at joeholcraft.org. We didn't quite get into Noah yet. We're going to spend some time with Noah tomorrow and uh, certainly next week as well. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.